Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Very honored to have on the line with us attorney Margaret Witherup from Maryland. Margaret, thank you for joining us. Hi, good afternoon, Frank. Thanks for having me. Yep, no, I appreciate it. We, you and I have been talking for a, a couple of a couple of weeks here, and I'm glad that we finally have a chance to go on the air. First of all, tell us about you. Tell us about your firm, and I know people are going to be interested in your local ties as well. Sure. Uh, I guess I'll start off with local ties. I, I grew up in Bloomsburg, Pennsylvania. Uh, my parents are still there. Hi, Mom and Dad. Um, I went to college at Bucknell, and I still go back frequently for visits and um, for the Bloomsburg Fair. <laughs> and your law firm in Maryland? Yes, I, I'm now an attorney at Gordon Feinblatt. Uh, we're located in Baltimore, Maryland. We practice uh, full-service law. Uh, representing people doing business in Maryland. We sometimes get involved in in matters outside of the state of Maryland. I am also admitted in Pennsylvania and do occasionally do some work in Pennsylvania. Okay, now on, on the website it says that you're a member of the firm's Energy and Environmental Litigation, Healthcare and Government Relation Practices. So that means that you wound <laughs> up you wound up getting getting this rain tax thrown on your desk. That's correct. Now, do a little bit of everything. Can you can you kind of give us a little bit of the history of the rain tax in Maryland? Everything from the governor to to where it started and where it is. Sure. Uh, so so Maryland has been dealing with stormwater for um, a number of years. Um, we recognize that it, stormwater is a problem and that that the state needed to do something about it. Um, in 2012, the state passed a law requiring the 10 largest jurisdictions in Maryland to implement a stormwater utility fee. And uh, the fee was supposed to be based on the share of stormwater services provided by the local jurisdiction to the property owner. And then the, the local jurisdictions had a period of time to implement those fees. Um, there was a wide-ranging response into how the counties um, implemented the fees. Uh, some of the larger jurisdictions and the more urban jurisdictions, like Baltimore City, really wanted a stormwater fee. They wanted some additional money in order to upgrade their stormwater infrastructure. And so they uh, tended to implement very high stormwater fees. Some of the more rural jurisdictions, um, other counties, did not want to implement a fee and in some cases we had one county that decided not to implement any fee at all and another jurisdiction implemented a fee of only one penny per parcel so technically they're in compliance with the state mandate but uh, a fee of one penny per parcel was really not uh, complying with the spirit of the law I guess. Now, now my, um, my understanding Maggie is that that this whole thing started with 
the EPA, the Chesapeake Bay Foundation suing the EPA, and then it wound up coming back to all of us saying you have to clean up the Chesapeake Bay. Um, that's part of it, yes. The, the EPA has also implemented something called a total maximum daily load for the Chesapeake Bay. And what that means is they have determined the maximum amount of nutrients, uh, specifically nitrogen and phosphorus and sediment, that can go into the Chesapeake Bay and still have a healthy water body. And this, um, I believe, was the first time that they had implemented a regional uh, total maximum daily load, or TMDL. Um, and then that trickled down to each of the states within the watershed to figure out how they were going to reduce their nutrient reduction uh, loadings into the Chesapeake Bay. Now, you know, in, in our area, people, people, people got these bills from uh, uh, the Wyoming Valley Sanitary Authority, and it became a major news story. People were up in arms, still are up in arms. This thing has been the result of town hall meetings, postponing when the bill is due, coming up with all kinds of information. Was the public reaction to the, the rain tax uh, as strong in Maryland? It absolutely was, but not at first. I think at the time that the state passed the law requiring the stormwater utility fees, most people thought that that was not a bad idea. They, everybody wants clean water. Um, and it was not until the local jurisdictions actually started having to figure out what they needed to do and putting dollar signs into the fees that people started to realize, wait a minute, this is going to be an, a huge burden on us and it, it doesn't seem reasonable anymore. And so there was a huge outcry uh, once the local jurisdiction started implementing the fees. Nobody liked it. And, um, and we had a... We then had an election in Maryland, and the Republican candidate for governor, Larry Hogan, ran on a platform that included repealing the rain tax. And um, he did get elected into office and became the governor. Um, he just survived another election, so he is, continues to be our governor in Maryland. Um, and one of the things that Governor Hogan pushed forward in his first term in office was this repeal of the rain tax. Um, now, the, I have to clarify that the legislature did pass a, quote, repeal of the rain tax, end quote, but it, it's not quite as strong as it sounds. And that's because the, the way that the state law was worded in 2012, when it was first enacted, it required the local jurisdictions to implement this stormwater fee. When that got repealed, the, it, the language got changed to now make it a permissive thing that the local juris, jurisdictions can do if they want to implement a stormwater fee. So it was no longer mandatory. Um, and for the local jurisdictions who never liked the fee, they were able to repeal their stormwater fee and not have one. And, and in many cases, they felt that they just did not need to impose an additional fee on their citizens. They could shift their revenues and their budget monies from other sources to still do stormwater upgrades to their infrastructure, but just without imposing a separate fee. Uh, I, I think for the jurisdictions... Um, 
for the larger jurisdictions and the more urban jurisdictions who wanted the fees, they were allowed to still keep their fees. And uh, so the jurisdictions like Montgomery County, uh, which is a suburb of Washington, D.C., and for Baltimore City, they still have um, significant stormwater fees in place. Um, and then other local jurisdictions were able to reduce the fees and not make it quite as burdensome on their residents as it was originally. Okay, now, what what you just said about Maryland's history seems like it's happening in Pennsylvania. My understanding is that a law was passed several years ago, and nobody paid attention to it. It looked like everybody was just doing this wonderful thing to, you know, provide clean water, and then at one point they realized, oh no, this is going to wind up taxing us. We didn't realize that when the law was passed. And now people are, are, are looking for some way to fight it. Now, I, I, when this thing hit, we, we got all kinds of calls from people saying, well, Maryland repealed theirs. They don't charge a rain tax in Maryland. But that's not true because it, only parts of it are true, right? That's correct. It's not, it's not accurate to say that Maryland repealed their rain tax. They repealed the requirement that the 10 largest local jurisdictions had to have a stormwater fee. So now it is permissive. And if the local jurisdictions want to implement a stormwater fee, they may do so. Okay. Now, and my, 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 my question here, and, and what you said kind of sparked what I'm thinking here. People here have no problem with a clean Chesapeake or clean Chesapeake Bay, no problem with a clean Susquehanna River. They just think they're already paying for it. They don't need a second tax. Now, when, when, when your governor, you know, pushed for that repeal, wasn't there still an EPA mandate that somehow a, a stormwater fee had to be paid, whether it was by a, a rain tax or the municipalities just, just taking care of that themselves? Yeah, I don't think EPA mandates that there has to be a, a rain tax or a fee. They don't really care how the local jurisdictions achieve the nutrient reductions. And so if the local jurisdictions can do it in in ways using their existing funds or by shifting monies around, uh, I, I don't think EPA cares. So the requirement for a fee is not coming from EPA. That's... Um, that was from the state of Maryland okay, in our now, case. That's critical because, because you know, we're, we're all thinking, you know, EPA is the bad guys here. EPA is just saying we want to we want a clean river, clean, clean Chesapeake Bay. And they're saying you states figure out how to do it, right? Yes, that's correct. Okay. All right. That, that good. That, that throws a lot of pressure on Harrisburg for us. Now, um, you, you were asked to fight. Let's, let's start with Montgomery County. What happened there? Okay, so Montgomery County, um, I have to clarify, I did not actually represent the property owner in this case, but I followed it, it very closely and I'm familiar with it. In Montgomery County, uh, they had a, a stormwater fee that was implemented, and um, there was a property owner who owned a commercial property, it was 30-some acres, and his stormwater fee was going to be around $11,000. And because of the requirement in Maryland that the fee had to be based on the share of stormwater management services related to that property and provided by the county, he challenged that fee 
because he said in his case, the county was not providing any stormwater services for his property. He um, built and maintained his own stormwater management ponds on his own property that collected and treated all of the water coming from his property, as well as some additional drainage areas from other people's property. And so he said, wait a minute here, this, this county fee is inconsistent with the state law and uh, he got a, a court, a local court in Montgomery County to agree with him. And the judge said that that was correct. He declared the law was invalid per se because it was not related to the share of stormwater services provided by the, the county to that property owner. Um, the county then appealed that decision to our intermediate appellate court in Maryland. Um, but before the intermediate appellate court could consider the case and rule on it, uh, the county went back and restructured its fee, its fee to make it a, a tax that would go onto the property tax bills instead of a fee. And so Montgomery County does does still have a a water quality fee. They've just restructured it so that it is now a tax. Now, I don't, I don't know if, if you're going to know the answer to this, but like, for instance, when you say Montgomery has something and Baltimore City has something, it, 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 everything that's collected, must it go towards cleaning up the Chesapeake? I mean, I guess what I'm really saying is, ha, has the rain tax become a cash cow for municipalities? Well, in Maryland, if it is structured as a stormwater fee, it is supposed to go into a dedicated fund that can only be used for purposes related to um, the, the cleanup of the watershed. So there are specific purposes that they can use it for, for upgrading their infrastructure, for implementing uh, best management practices, or doing things to improve water quality. It cannot be shifted to the general funds of the local jurisdiction to, to spend however they want to. I, I don't know how Pennsylvania is structuring their fees, but but that's how it is in Maryland. See, when, when, I, when I told people that you were going to be on the air, I said one of the things that we were going to be looking for are hints on how we can fight this. Now, based on what I'm hearing from your experience, if, if we can get somebody in Harrisburg to make a similar, pass a similar piece of legislation that says collecting the fee is not mandatory, then it can be up to each each different municipality to decide if they want to collect it, correct? I think that sounds correct. Okay, and it's and and the EPA is not going to come, you know, with stormtroopers and say you must implement a stormwater fee. This is not an EPA edict. Well, I, obviously, I don't speak for EPA, but uh, the I think EPA imposes the nutrient reductions that it expects to get from the um, from the Chesapeake Bay watershed jurisdictions, and then it's up to the, those jurisdictions to determine how they're going to meet those reductions. Now, you, 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 uh, you're from Bloomsburg, so you, you know the Susquehanna River, okay? I know the Susquehanna River very well. <laughs> yes, you do. What, one of the problems people have here is they're talking about, you know, implementing this rain tax to clean up the Susquehanna River, while upstream in Binghamton, New York, they are dumping 600 million gallons of untreated wastewater into the river. And so they're saying, well, why should we clean it up here when they're not cleaning it up upstream? Now, I just throw that out to you. I'm, Margaret, I'm going to ask you to hang on a second. We've got to take a break for headlines.
headline news. When we come back, we'll talk about that. And then I want to, I have about 9 million other questions for you. So hold on. We are talking to attorney Margaret Witherup. She is from Maryland. She is an attorney special. 25 minutes now before 4 o'clock, and on the line with us is Bloomsburg native, Bucknell graduate, Margaret Witherup, attorney uh, out of Maryland. And we're talking about the rain tax, the fight in Maryland, and what we can learn about our fight here in northeastern and central Pennsylvania. Now, Maggie, my comment there about, you know, cleaning up the Susquehanna here while Binghamton is messing it up there. Any, any thoughts on that? Well, it's not fair. Um, and New York is part of the Chesapeake Bay watershed, and they have obligations to EPA as well to to uh, do their share, to not dump their stuff in, in the river that comes downstream to the rest of us. Right. Now, one of, one of our listeners called and made this point, which I thought was a really good point. I don't know where it would fit in in our fight, but he said, if, if the, the goal here is to clean things up, why should... Luzerne County, for instance, be paying when six months from now the city of Scranton might implement it and eight months from now Wyoming County might implement it. Shouldn't it all be done at the same time because some people then are paying more longer? That, that's a very good question. Okay. Tell us about your fight in Baltimore City because they may answer some of our questions. What happened there? Yeah, so in Baltimore City, I... That was one of the jurisdictions that implemented the the highest stormwater fees in the state of Maryland. Obviously, it's a it's a city. It's a very urban area, and so there's a lot of impervious surface. Um, I represented a coalition of primarily industrial businesses that had very large amounts of impervious surface, and uh, we got involved in the enactment of the ordinance in Baltimore City and, and in the regulations to implement their ordinance. And what we were able to do is we were um, able to put in place a series of credits and exemptions from the fees that would bring the fees into the range of reasonable for these businesses. Because in some cases, you know, we have the Port of Baltimore here with, you know, very large amounts of impervious surface. Those businesses rely on their impervious surface to do their business. They cannot rip it up and then, you know, put rain gardens or plant trees there. They need that in order to operate and remain competitive. And in some cases, they were looking at stormwater fees in the hundreds of thousands of dollars, which we believe was not reasonable and would not enable these businesses to continue to stay in business in Maryland. Uh, so what the city was willing to do for us is they, they agreed to implement a series of credits and exemptions that would um, enable those property owners to bring the fee down to the range of reasonable. And it, in all cases, they were willing to pay something to contribute to improve the water quality of the state and improve the city's infrastructure, but not to the point where it's going to be breaking their backs and putting them out of business. That's not reasonable. Uh, one of the the um, caps that we were able to get put in place was a, um, a cap that said that the fee for non-single family property owners could not be any more than 20% of your property tax for that piece of property. And so right there, that, that um, 
brought the fee down for a, a lot of a lot of companies. Um, we also were able to get a credit against the stormwater fee for uh, 45% for putting in place certain treatment practices. They could show that they're doing other things to treat stormwater or to keep their impervious surface clean. They could get up to 45% credit against the base fee. Um, also, if the property owners were subject to a um, an industrial stormwater permit, which also requires them to take steps to prevent pollutants from getting into the rainwater on their properties. They could get a 55% credit for um, having that permit in place. Um, there's also a 30% credit for um, for not using any of the city's infrastructure. You know, the purpose of the stormwater fee is to upgrade the city's stormwater infrastructure. And if the property owner is not using any of the city's infrastructure, there's an argument that they shouldn't have to pay for those upgrades. So um, in some cases, the, the property tax cap is, is, um, is kind of is an alternative Thing that you can take advantage of. If you get the 20% cap of your property tax, then you cannot qualify for any of the other credits. But the other credits could be cobbled together so you could get as much as 85% of the credit against your stormwater fee, which um, you know would bring the fee down to the range of reasonable for a lot of these large in, impervious surface businesses. See, now, in, in our area, the residential bills went out. And people got them, and they ranged from, you know, $50 to $240, and people were outraged. The commercial bills didn't go out. And you take something like Bloomsburg University that will have a few parking lots, and they get a stormwater. That, that could be very expensive. Or, or a school district here, or Mohegan Sun, or, or the arena, or something like that. I mean, these could be astronomical bills. I think that's when it's going yes, to hit. Yes, they add up very quickly. I think that's when it's going to hit the fan up here, where you're going to really see some effort to, to fight this. Now, do you, do you have any suggestions on our next step in fighting this? Well, uh, I am, I've just started looking at the, the stormwater management ordinances and, and the Wyoming Valley um, Sanitary Authority contracts, but uh, my understanding is that the fees in Pennsylvania have to be reasonable and uniform. So to the extent that they're not reasonable and uniform, that there's a potential basis for challenging them right there. Um, another thing that I would look at is in, in Baltimore City, there was a process for being able to challenge the determination of your impervious surface and for challenging the fee with the city. Um, because in some cases, the city was relying on, on aerial photography to determine what is the impervious surface on your property. And in some cases, they were wrong. It was, it was an old picture and, and a building had been removed or it's a vacant lot or something like that. And so there is a process for people who disagreed with their impervious surface assessment could challenge the, the amount of impervious surface on which they're being assessed the fee. 
that that's that's another basis for for challenging the fee and just reducing the amount of the fee. And that's exactly, exactly what happened here. We had aerial photography and we had people complaining, um, wait, I'm being billed for this. They're saying it's my driveway. It's not. It's an alley that's owned by the municipality. You know, we're, and now in the city of Scranton, they have hired a firm and they're doing aerial photography right now. So that is exactly the experience that you had. It, it's, it's messy here. It's nutty. It's so complicated. I almost get the feeling like... Um, like this rain tax, unless you fight it, is going to be here to stay. There probably is. <laughs> that's, not, that's not real encouraging. Of course, you guys had something that we don't have, and that is you had a governor who was against this rain tax. We did. Uh, I think you know, Governor Hogan has, has been um, very moderate in his approach. I think he is... Um, has been very reasonable in in trying to um, to protect the environment and do what is right for the environment, but also recognizing that we have to be reasonable with our property owners. Let me just ask for a clarification, if you can. When you said you were looking at some of the documents and it has to be reasonable and uniform, what, what does uniform mean? Well, that's that's a question for interpretation. Uniform means that it has to be the same. I mean, generally, it means that you, you have to be treating similarly situated people the same. Um, and then it, it, that goes to a definition of how you define who is similarly situated. Uh, so, it, it, yeah, it, it's it's messy. It's messy. Wow, 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 wow. Um, so, <laughs> you know, I mean, th this is kind of like climbing up Mount McKinley here or pushing a boulder up. But but we're not giving up the fight because this, this affects a lot of senior citizens up here. As you know, we have uh, an older population and it hurts. Twenty, fifty, eighty dollars hurts. I agree. And and everybody that I talk to wants wants a clean environment. We all want a clean environment and clean rivers and, and water bodies, but but we also don't want to be unfairly and unduly burdened by that. I think the fees have to be reasonable based on the circumstances. Well, Margaret, thank you for taking so much time. I'm grateful. I'm sure I'm going to be bugging you again. <laughs> I'm, I hope your family in Bloomsburg was listening, and you have a great day. Thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you. Okay. Attorney Margaret Witherup. Um. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.